Welcome to week four of summer school. Welcome, Calvary Quakertown. I didn't realize that many of you needed summer school, but here you are. You know, summer school's for two reasons. Remediation or acceleration. You've got a little gap, maybe, in your, in your background, so you need to remediate a lack, or you're going to accelerate so you can advance to the head of the class. So I've got a couple questions to help you determine which of those two groups you're in as you're in summer school. How many of you have ever made a really dumb and stupid decision? Raise your hand. Now, don't make another one by not raising your hand and lying in church. Yeah, we all fit into that category. In fact, we're the product of decisions that we make. Have any of you ever made a really bad physical health-oriented decision? I was at a conference this past week, and I guess it was Thursday. Um, I meet a gentleman. I think he was early 70s, maybe 73 or so. And uh, he decided, after not water skiing for decades, that he was going to water ski that morning. I met him as they pushed his wheelchair in to lunch, <laughs> sat behind the table, and he said, I should never have done that. You ever make decisions like that? How about really bad financial decisions? You made some of those? Boy, the consequences are long-term, aren't they? Uh, you know, you put it together, you, uh, you make a bad decision. How about a, um, a decision that you've made in the past but continues to haunt you? Yeah, well, the book of Proverbs was written so that we can wise up, and it's all about wisdom that works. It's not just that we need to put wisdom to work. The wisdom that we find there actually does work. Now, as I said, we're four weeks into the series now. We've had three weeks, and here's how we're going to do it today. So far, you've looked at three topics that Proverbs speaks to. And so you've gotten kind of your appetites wetted a little bit as to what Proverbs uh, operate, how they operate. This morning, we're going to step back. We're going to zoom out a little bit. You know, when you're making a journey, uh, unlike my daughters, they don't have to know where they are, where they're going. They just follow Waze or Google Maps. Um, I like to know where I am and how I'm going to get there. Then I'll follow Waze. Well, we're going to zoom out. We're going to hit the zoom out button a few times. And we're going to look at Proverbs in general, wisdom in general, pick up a couple of clues at the end how to develop wisdom. And then next week, we'll get back to looking at some of the particulars. Well, first of all, we're going to try to answer the question, what is Proverbs? How do we understand Proverbs? Well, uh, here's a little definition. Um, Proverbs is a collection of short, pithy statements of advice, observation, warning, and prohibition. That's a pretty good definition of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a collection, but it's a collection of short, for the most part, pithy little statements of advice, observation, and prohibition. Now, many definitions that I've read of Proverbs over the years and recently often have the word pithy in it. That's why I put it. What in the world does pithy mean? When I think of pith, I think of those white strings, you know, in an orange. After you take the skin off, you have to get rid of the pith or the white stuff on the inside. You have to get rid of that so that you can enjoy the orange. But here's what I've discovered. Maybe we can understand something about Proverbs by understanding pith. First of all, there's a lot of vitamin C in that pith, 
I'm still not going to eat much of it, but a lot of vitamin C. There's also good fiber in the pith, more so than in the orange, and it's a great source of antioxidant. So here's how it works. The pith's a little bitter, right? Much more bitter than the orange. Proverbs can be like that. Proverbs at first, you read it, you got to wrestle with it. You got to work on the pith, right? You bite the orange and the juice kind of flows, but you got to work at getting the pith down. But there's a lot of benefit. Your immune system can be boosted and you can learn and develop. But sometimes it begins with a little bitterness or a little bit of work to get to what's there. So maybe the definition actually works well, and we can use the word pith now with some understanding. So I thought we'd move on, before we move on, we'd look at a couple Proverbs, ones that are familiar to you. So here's the first one we're going to look at. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many of you have, li have lived both sides of that proverb? Raise your hand. Yeah, here, here's what that proverb means. Cool-headedness is superior to hot-headedness. And there are some hotheads in the room, Right? And you live with the results of your hot-headedness. A gentle answer turns away. And so you know, going into a discussion, right, as your temperature is beginning to rise and you're beginning to boil on the inside, you know if you make this comment, the other person's going to be offended, they're going to become defensive, and they're going to lob a nasty comment back at you. Rather than doing that, cool-headedness is superior to hot-headedness. You think we'd learn that as kids, right? But we don't. We grow up and often we just explode. And you can often tell when you explode because people go running when you enter the room when the conversation's rising. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Notice a short, pithy statement. Words of advice, words of observation, words of prohibition. There it is, a good example of that. Well, do you follow that advice or not? Ah, here's another one from the beginning of Proverbs. I'm sure you've heard this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, that Proverbs appears kind of at the beginning, right, in Proverbs chapter 4. And a lot of the other Proverbs talk about external things. We're going to talk about some later. Lots of Proverbs talk about your mouth, talk about your hands, talk about your feet, talk about external things. But here's a proverb at the very, very beginning, and we're reminded of this principle often. Everything comes from the heart. And so if you're going to fix the external stuff, if you're going to fix your mouth, your hands, your feet, your ears, etc., the real change is going to happen on the inside, not the outside. I was uh, sitting this morning, I thought, huh, just suppose... Your uh, water at home's tasting funny. So you, decided, you decide you're going to call Steve Clemmer at Pure Flow Water. So Steve shows up, analyzes your water. Oh, you've got problems, right? You need ultraviolet light to do this, and you need filters for that. And you say, uh, well, what's that going to cost? He tells you what it's going to say. Well, yeah, thanks a lot for coming by. I appreciate that. You've got a better strategy. Rather than having your water filtered in the ultraviolet light, doing whatever it does, rather than, you're going to go to Home Depot and buy a new faucet. So you buy a faucet, and you know what? You get the gold-plated one because it's on sale. And you take, the, I don't, but you take the old one off, you put the new one on, screw it, and now you just know your water is going to be perfect because you've got a new faucet. That's stupid, right? <laughs> but how often... 
is that our strategy? We think we're solving the problem by fixing the outside. We're going to stay away from this word and stay away from that. We're going to not do this. Well, yeah, you may clean up the outside a little bit, but if you don't solve the problem at the source, if you don't get the contaminants out of the well, between your well and the faucet, you're not going to fix the problem. That's what Proverbs says over and over and over again. Yes, if you fix the source of the problem, heart, there will be a change at the faucet. But you can change the faucet all you want, and you're not going to fix the heart by changing the faucet. Just a little bit of priority at the beginning of the book. So that's understanding. That's how Proverbs work. It's a collection of short, pithy statements that are based on observation, that are based on experience, that are giving us words of prohibition, affirmation, etc. Well, if Proverbs was given to help us develop wisdom and to wise up, and if we're going to wind up working wisdom, what is wisdom? Like, how does that work? Well, if you'd read the book, you'd know. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is described in the book as walking the right path. Choosing the right path, walking the right path. Now, one of the themes you're going to read, as you read through Proverbs, you're going to hear this theme over and over and over again. Life is pictured as a journey. Now, they didn't have cars and stuff back then, so life is a journey. It's a walk. And the walk has a beginning, it has a destination, and you're walking. And as you're walking through life, right, all of us are on a journey. And that journey includes thousands and thousands of decisions. Now, a lot of those decisions are actually... um, given to us, or were helped along by words in the Bible. So here's how I like to say it. As you're walking along that path, you may come to an intersection, and if at the intersection it says, you've got a choice, speak the truth or tell lies. You know what? If you come to an intersection that says, speak the truth or tell a lie, you don't need wisdom. You need obedience at that intersection. God says, tell the truth, don't tell lies. Now, if you come to an intersection, and the choice is are not as clear. Should I go to college or get a job? Should I marry this guy or that guy? But the Bible's not clear on it. When you come to those intersections where the Bible doesn't speak clearly to the decision, now you need wisdom. At lots of intersections in life, we need obedience. At many intersections, probably more intersections, we need wisdom. Wisdom is choosing the correct path. You say, okay, well, that doesn't sound like a hard, oh yeah, but it's a big problem. Because people are yelling stuff to you as you reach the intersection. If wisdom is to help you avoid the pitfalls, choose the right path, you've got people yelling to you. And so you come to the intersection, you say, oh, this path looks right, I'll turn left. Well, somebody yells, good choice, left is the way to go. But another, just when you're ready to turn left, another voice says, no, 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 left is the moron's choice. Turn right. That's the way you should go. It's more complicated, right? And as you read through Proverbs, particularly the first nine chapters, you'll discover there are voices yelling to us. Voices saying, turn left. Other voices saying, turn right. Whose voice are you going to listen to? How do you assess? Wisdom is choosing the right path in the cacophony of voices that are yelling to us. And as we close uh, this morning in a few minutes and we talk about developing wisdom, I've chosen a few categories, and those categories are going to show us the conflicting voices in our world that we hear. 
Choose this, no, choose that. No, choose widely, wisdom wisely. Wisdom is choosing the right path. I think we had a verse here. Oh, wisdom is also not just IQ, but EQ. You know what, IQ is like how intelligent you are, right? And uh, it's amazing to me, and I don't mean this as a slam in any way. It's amazing to me that often you go to church and people ask you to make spiritual decisions. And that's a good thing, right? We need to have spiritual decisions kind of grounding on. But often the Bible would say, make smart decisions. Don't be an idiot. Choose wisely, right? Um, so, but that, that's IQ, right? We, you know, kind of knowing stuff. EQ is emotional intelligence. I don't know what your IQ is. I can hang out with you and talk to people that know you in your life, and I'll determine your EQ. Now here, I, I should have had a chart, forgive me. EQ is really a four boxes, right? If you think of like a, a tic-tac-toe board that's half full, a tic-tac-toe board half full. Uh, so here are the choices. The vertical columns would be self and social, self and social. The others would be awareness and management. Self and social, awareness, management. Got the four blocks? Now, emotional intelligence is being self-aware. Some of you are not very self-aware. And the reality is, None of us can be self-aware without input from other people. We're not quite sure how we're coming across. So you need other people to weigh in and say, no, you really don't, you come across like this, right? Self-aware. But not just do you need to be self-aware. Once you're aware, you need to manage that self-perception and live out self-management. So EQ has to do with self-awareness, growing that in conversation, and self-management. Once you know, don't be a hothead. That's self-management, right? So if people tell you you're always exploding, nobody wants to be near you because you're a hothead, well, that's self-awareness, then self-management. Next one is a social. Social awareness. Do you know, like, what's happening in the group? Can you read the group well? I'll say it like this, and if you've ever been in a small group, you already know this. Some members of the group that have low social awareness, they'll destroy your group. They don't know when to stop talking. They don't know when to talk, right? You need to be socially aware of what's going on. Uh, we, we call people that um, are not very socially aware, we call them EGRs, extra grace required people, right? <laughs> You need extra grace to deal with them, right? They, uh, well, okay, social, are they social, social aware? But then you need to manage how you're being read in the group and how the group's functioning. So IQ, knowing, knowing stuff, right? And living it out, self-awareness, self-management is EQ. And social awareness, self-management. Now, you may say, Charles, why are you talking about that? Well, a little light on material. I figured I'd throw some EQ. No, no. Proverbs is all about EQ, now, there is IQ stuff, and there is obedience stuff, and there's lots of EQ stuff. Here's just one verse. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word. Notice, that proverb has nothing to do with truth and lying. It doesn't have to do with slander and gossip. That proverb has to do with an apt reply a timely word, how you say something and when you say something. 
If you're married, you know a whole lot about untimely words and not very apt replies, right? And because the fight starts there usually, right? But EQ means you're self-aware and you're managing that self-awareness and you're socially aware and you're socially managing it. That means maturity. And you know what? IQ and EQ is wisdom. You need both of those. How many times have you met someone who usually begins by saying something like this? I don't know why they were offended. I was just speaking the truth. The Bible never gives you license to just speak the truth. The Bible says speak the truth in love. Are you speaking the truth to destroy them, tear them down, and feel better yourself? Or are you speaking the truth to build them up and to edify them? One of the things that we talk about um, on leadership here, and the elders have talked about, and I've talked about, we need to manage our intent in what we say, but also the impact, right, that social awareness, knowing the impact of what you're going to say. Now, here's the reality the Proverbs would say. You're responsible for both. You can't just, well, I just let it fly. No, no, you can't just let it fly. EQ. Intent, make sure your motives are as pure as they can be, but make sure you're assessing the impact so that you're able to manage what's going on socially. Well, it's getting too convicting. We better move on. All right, the next one, understanding the fear of the Lord. Now, right at the beginning, uh, let me read the first seven verses of Proverbs to you. And uh, the fear of the Lord is given as one of the foundational pillars, and maybe now, maybe the foundational pillar that the rest of the book is kind of leaning on. Um, now, you'll notice, I'm going to read in a couple minutes, you'll notice that the word for keeps appearing beginning in verse 2, running through verse 6. For is giving us a purpose statement. So the author is going to say, well, here's, here's Proverbs, and then he gives a series of reasons as to why we get them. And notice, after he gives the six reasons, or the reason, he says, now, the first step in getting there. There's the reason. So you need to grow in wisdom. But the first step on that journey in getting to the destination is fearing God. Well, what the heck? We better understand that then. So here's what, um, here's what the writer of Proverbs says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Here's our first purpose. For gaining wisdom and instruction. For understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for the understanding of proverbs and parables, the the sayings and riddles of the wise. Now here's the first step on that journey. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, the word knowledge there in verse 7, almost a synonym for wisdom. It just didn't want to use the same word. Um, Well, what in the world is the fear of God then? Now, you've probably heard, if you go to church, Sunday school, small group, you've probably heard, now, fearing God does not mean you're afraid of God. It does not mean you're... Well, you know what? Only fools would not be afraid of someone who holds the entire universe in the palm of his hand. Only fools would not be afraid of someone who holds your destiny, not just temporally, but eternally in his hand. 
Only fools would not look to that one with a little bit of fear. Now, it does mean awe. It does mean, but it also, also there's a grain of being afraid in that, right? Um, here's what uh, the fear of God actually means, though. And it's got a little bit of afraid in it. The fear of God means you know your place and you live in place. I have two grandsons, which I've told you about before, Jeffrey and Carter. Jeffrey just turned six and Carter will turn four in the very near future. Jeffrey and Carter love to ride with me in the golf cart. If you were to ask them, they would tell you, I drive the golf cart. The truth of the matter is, neither of them drive the golf cart. Jeffrey's getting a little taller, so he doesn't have to sit on my lap anymore, but he still can't reach the pedals. Carter can't reach the pedals, he sits on my lap. He steers once in a while, but if the truth be told, if I ever let go of the steering wheel for long and didn't work the pedals, we would wreck somewhere, right? In somebody's house, in a tree, a car, there would be a wreck. So even though they say they're driving the golf cart, Pop, we love driving the golf cart. The truth of the matter is, they know their place or the golf cart's not going. So they walk by the golf cart and they will say, Pop, can we drive the golf cart? Next words out of Carter's mouth. Pop, you sit down and I'll get on your lap. That means, Pop, you make it go. You push the pedals and if I get stuck, you turn the wheel. He likes to do crazy cart. Okay, I grab the wheel before we hit something. That's what it means to drive the cart. You know what it means to fear the Lord? It means you know your place. And if you know your place, you know God's place. God's omniscient. God's omnipotent. Remember in Genesis, we talked about that triangle? God's place is at the top of the triangle. The judge calling the shot. You and I should be at the bottom of the triangle, listening to what he says, knowing our place, living life under him. Our place is not turning the triangle. So now we're in that decision-making seat. It's not that we're now calling the shot. That's not knowing your place. When you turn the triangle, when you tell God to move aside and you're going to drive the golf cart for, you, for yourself, there's going to be a mess because you don't know your place. Fearing the Lord, you know your place. He drives. And you know what? He lets us steer a little bit now and then. But make no mistake, he's working the pedals. He grabs the wheel when a catastrophe's coming, and he's making sure that we get home safely. Fearing God means you know your place. Um, are you living fearing the Lord? Or have you slipped into the driver's seat and told him to get out of the, told him to get out of the golf car? A wreck will soon ensue. Oh, that's kind of fear of the Lord. So that's kind of our preliminary stuff. So uh, let's fly over a couple of Proverbs just to kind of look at different categories and see how, and just to make us a little more personal, uh, I got an idea for you. We're going to look at four different things. And I'm going to ask you, honestly, nobody's going to look, you need to score yourself how you're doing one through 10. Now remember, if Proverbs is choosing the right path, we are going to choose the right path? You have to know where you are and where you're headed and you make the right decisions to get there because Proverbs will tell you, you and I make thousands and thousands and thousands of decisions and then your decisions make you. 
A scary thought, isn't it? You make decisions. And you and I are the product of all of our decisions. So decide carefully. And the best way to start is to assess where you are. What's the present reality? What's the preferred future? And choose the right path to get there. Here we go. One through ten. I'm not going to ask you to give your... I'll ask you on the way out. Here's the first one. Be coachable. Proverbs is all about being teachable. And you're going, you're, we, we've already met, and we will meet some people in Proverbs. You meet the simple, right? The immature, the uninitiated, the person that doesn't know things yet, right? But you also meet the fool. You also meet the mocker. The simple hasn't quite figured it out yet, right? The wise person is open to instruction. The immature may be still open, but the mocker and the fool no longer open to instruction. They've shut down. Which one of those categories would be coachable? So here are verses right from chapter 1 that we just read. The wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. Is that you? The wise listen and add to their learning. Or do you already think you know it all? Look, I, I know what it's like to have people critique you. I speak in front of people as my job. I know what critique is like. So uh, I felt it a couple times this week, so I speak, right, big conference. Two mornings, and it, it was not a godly feel. So I'm not sharing this because you want to follow me here. Uh, there was somebody who said, well, Charles, I have a few comments, a few things you need to fix. Now, I should have felt... I really need to learn. I need to be. Instead, I, was, I didn't say this, right? I'm not that much of a fool. Uh, but I'm thinking, when they ask you to speak here, I'll come and critique you, right? Um, his comments were not really sound. And I tried to. But how do you respond when somebody comes to critique you? Do you actually invite that? Or do you deny and blame shift? We talked a lot about that in Genesis, right? Immediately people sin. Well, they come. God says, well, what's going on? They deny. I didn't really do it. No, no, no. And we blame. No, it was this other person's fault. Are you teachable, coachable? Do you invite people's opinion? You can't be self-aware, socially aware, self-managing yourself without getting feedback. How are you doing on that? One through ten. How are you doing on that one? You need that one for every week that we're going through summer school. All right, here's the next one. Watch your mouth. Now remember, you remember, your mouth is the water coming out of the faucet. But you don't fix and purify the water coming out of the faucet by changing the faucet. You've got a heart problem, right? Your mouth is betrayed. Your, your mouth is the sight gauge to what's going on in the inside. How's your mouth doing? You'll, if you've never read through Proverbs, read, you know, people often say, 31 chapters in Proverbs, you can read a chapter a day. Read a chapter a day if you want. Um, but here's what I would say. You will be amazed at how many Proverbs talk about your mouth. Because we have a hard time with our mouths, right? Um, here's just one of many verses. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent, prudent hold their tongue. There's another proverb that says this. Even fools are thought to be wise when they don't say anything. When you open your mouth, 
the jury is now in, right? <laughs> as soon as you speak, everybody knows you're stupid. And where were, so here, here's another translation, same verse. Where words are many, sin is not absent. If you just keep talking, and it's not going to take long before you cross the line. Now you're gossiping, you're slandering, you're critiquing. Scott mentioned uh, before the one song, it's uh, your breath, right? It's your breath. We talked about that in a little uh, devotional time before, while we were praying in the back. It's your breath in our lungs. So yet yeah, you think about that. Every word you speak has been energized by God. He gave you the breath. What are you using that breath to do? Tear down his people? Critique others with the same problem? You, what are you doing with that? Sin is not ended by multiplying words. Where words are many, sin is not absent. Now, you can't solve that problem by never speaking, right? In fact, Proverbs speaks about that. He tried, no, you can't obey what God's doing by never speaking, but reflect before you talk. That'd be a good thing, right? Think before you talk. Good step. Now, here's another one. Maintain purity. And I'm mainly thinking about sexual purity here. Um, kind of got your attention now, right? <laughs> Be coachable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch your mouth. Yawn, yawn, yawn. Be careful sexually. What did he say? <laughs> A lot of stuff about sex. And you know what? Nothing like sex will show you the different voices in our world calling to us from the path, right? Choose your own thing. Make your own identity. Yeah. Here's the bottom line. You want to choose the right path. Some of this is obedience. Some of it's wisdom. Here's what God says. Sex is a wonderful, good gift from God. We need to thank him for it. And God loves us so much that he says, if you misuse that gift, you're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt other people in the process. It's a good, wonderful gift. Now, God loves and Jesus loves people that have different values than he does, that are far from him. He wants to call them to himself to change them, to get back on the right path. So here's the bottom line. Sex is a good gift of God. To be experienced and lived out in the commitment, in the covenant of a marriage between a man and a woman. Now, that may not be the message of our culture. That may not be wise. That may, that may be narrow-mindedly bigoted in our world, but... That's what God says. You come to those intersections, you hear the voices, right? Who are you going to listen to? Kind of an IQ and an EQ test. Maintain purity. I love how Proverbs 6 said it. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Um, men of every age love fire. Men love to watch it. Men love to make it. Men love to burn stuff. I don't know what it is. Kind of in our DNA, I think, right? But, and so I've been to fires. My youngest daughter, Megan, she just put a big fire pit in her house and says, sit around the fire in Adirondack chairs. And, but of all the, and I don't like to be out if there are bugs and stuff, right? But if you're sitting around a fire, and I've sat around dozens and dozens of fires. You sat around, and I've never had someone say to me, Charles Little, 
chill in the air tonight. Would you take a few shovelfuls of those coals and put them in my lap here to warm me up? Like, nobody's ever, now maybe at your campfire somebody says that. Uh, I've never had that experience. You know what the writer of Proverbs says? It would be less dangerous for you to take the bonfire or to take the uh, fire pit and dump it into your lap. That would have less harmful long-term benefits or consequences than it would for you to live outside of God's sexual parameters. And you know what Proverbs says that kind of hate? Bulls in your court. Choice is yours. As I've said uh, numerous times, at the end of the day, you do not break God's law. You prove God's law. You follow that wise, correct path, and you experience blessedness. You make all the wrong turns at the intersections. You experience brokenness, and you get burnt. That's not breaking something. That's proving something. Well, how does Proverbs work? What, what's, how are you doing on that one? One to ten. One to ten. How are you doing? Watch your mouth. Maintain purity. Right? Because, uh, here's the last one I want to mention. Um, take initiative. Take initiative. Two weeks ago, Carlos spoke about being a sluggard. About being lazy. Learn from the ant. Take initiative. And you know what Proverbs would say repeatedly? Um, you know, it's one thing to hear it's another thing to hear and to do. Do you remember in chapter one that I read those verses? Proverbs is not just given so we learn something. Proverbs is given so that we do something. Just, and James, right, another wisdom kind of book from the New Testament says, don't be stupid. Don't look at yourself in the mirror. All the stuff needs to be fixed and go away without fixing anything. Well, in summer school, don't come week by week, see yourself in the mirror. Hey, we need to make some adjustments along the way and then leave and not make any changes. Take initiative, do something. Come up with a plan, a performance plan, a change plan. Here's a, one verse of many we could pick. As a sluggard buries his hand in the dish, he will not even bring it back to his mouth. Um, maybe the metaphor for us is you show up Sunday morning, and uh, to use the metaphor, I sometimes, well, we come to Calvary to be fit. You know, let me just say, the Bible never tells you to go to church to get something out of it, ever. The Bible tells you to go to church to give something to others. Right? But you come to get fed. Okay, well, what do you do when you get fed? Well, you sit there and yeah, bring it on, bring it on. And then you don't even put your hand to the task when you leave. You don't do anything with it. Well, here's the bottom line. We started here. We're going to end here. Pursue the person of wisdom. Let me tell you what wisdom is not. Wisdom is not learning all of these cool commands from the book of Proverbs and then trying your best to live them out. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is not infatuation with principles of how to live so you can tell other people and teach them and they're awed by your great knowing. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is knowing and following the person of wisdom. And his name is Jesus. Here's what Paul says in Colossians. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Now look at this. Namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
If you want to know all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, don't go to the book of Proverbs. You can go there to learn some principles. Those principles will point you to the person of knowledge. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Know him, follow him, and you will be wise, and you'll find that wisdom really works. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, the book of Proverbs. And we confess that sometimes we experience the pith, a little bitter in our mouths, a little tough to get down, got to chew on it a little bit. But Lord, you tell us it'll boost our immune system. It'll help us make good decisions at the intersection. We'll avoid lots of pitfalls. And lo and behold, we'll be following the way of Jesus. So Lord, we ask that you'd help us to be wise, not by memorizing principles and rules and regulations and falling in love with ideas. Lord, help us to fall in love with Jesus, to follow him closely, because in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We pray in his name. Amen.